What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown. We are your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Super stoked to be back today. We are rounding out the NFL regular season as well as the college football season. Today, we've got two NFL topics as usual for you, but we don't have any college football talk because we will be doing our college football um, championship preview and everything on Saturday, most likely. So we are going to save that all of that for Saturday because the game is being played next Monday. So that'll be perfect timing there. So today we're going to have a college basketball topic as well as an NBA topic. And then we're going to have a little fun segment at the end, which I will explain once we get to it. So stay tuned for that. Now, Matt, hand it over to you. How are you doing? Good. And it is an unprecedented time period. Obviously, this would have been the last regular season in the NFL every other year uh, and since its inception. So we have another week of football and that's always a good thing. Um, and, and so that's, you know, that's kind of what's going on. Got a little, you know, week 18, it's not going to be, it's not going to be extremely exciting, but there still is a bunch of playoff implications and stuff like that. So, so a lot to be excited for as we preview, um, or look ahead to week 18 and then kind of before the playoffs start there. Um, but, but yeah, so definitely, definitely good to be talking about NFL still, and then have another week as well after week 18. Um, obviously as Hayden said, college football pretty much essentially had, well, there's technically two games left, um, there's a Kansas State and LSU bowl game tonight. Yeah. Uh, none of LSU's players are playing, so Kansas State's probably going to roll in that one. And then, obviously, the national championship, as Hayden mentioned, we'll preview that one later on. So, yeah, ready to get into it. All righty. Well, coming up on the first NFL topic, we've got the Cardinals and Cowboys are currently two of the best teams in the NFC based on their record. And they've both gotten Super Bowl hype, but both teams seem to have kind of just or they, they seem to have just as many questionable moments as they do great ones. So this also showed when they played uh, this past Sunday and it kind of seemed like neither team wanted to win in that game. And so who's more fraudulent and why? I mean, I think this is a great topic because it really does, I think, kind of show the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the imbalance in how both of these teams have been performing throughout the season. I mean, you know, we, we, we talked about towards the beginning when the Cardinals, you know, they started and their record was great. Um, and, and then they kind of faltered a little bit after that, the Cowboys were more, they started, I think six and one, um, lost a couple and then looked great for a couple of weeks. And then obviously, you know, haven't a little bit, you know, in, in recent weeks. And so everybody's kind of breaking down like, Oh, well, you know, what's the, what's wrong with the Cardinals? What's wrong with the Cowboys? I mean, I think that really it was, it was interesting to see that both of them played on Sunday, especially in that prime time 425 slot on Fox, because, realistically we saw kind of like both teams in their I think truest form which is to say you know neither team is is great um they have good pieces and and you know they're kind of working out outside of injuries and and all this other stuff but but it it's really comes down to the fact that like I think both teams have gotten hype to be uh, you know, Super Bowl contenders, or at least, you know, go, go pretty far in the playoffs. And, and obviously both teams will, you know, probably win their division, they'll get home playoff games. And so I think that's going to be really when we're able to see who's the bigger, you know, who's the bigger, I guess, fraud when it comes to, um, you know, when it comes to the Cardinals and Cowboys. But I think that this game was really indicative of the fact that 
both teams are, definitely have their problems. Um, if I had to choose one, I would I would probably say the Cowboys. I think that I think that you know because their fan base is so big and because they get so much media attention, it really makes the cowboy when 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 they seem good they get hyped up way too much right and so when they kind of have a stinker or you know or or a or a worse performance then then it seems like all the hype was was so wrong and it's like well how could you have been hyping them up well it's not you know it's not any any one person's individual fault it's just that there's so many cowboys fans that you know once they have a bad game all the all the cowboys haters come out and they're like well you guys suck right um it's definitely in between but i do think if we're talking strictly football here the defense has significantly improved from last year that's clear all right um, and, and obviously, right. You know, Trayvon, Trayvon Diggs is, is, is amazing. And, and Micah Parsons is going to be, you know, defensive rookie of the year for sure. So they have good pieces there and they've improved. And Dan Quinn, who, you know, if, if you remember him, he was the, he was the mind behind the Legion of Boom in Seattle when, when their defense was, was amazing for those few years, uh, there, he went to the Falcons and then, uh, lost the Super Bowl to Tom Brady when they had the lead 38, 28 to three, um, but now he's back. He's the defensive co- defensive coordinator of the Cowboys. That's his, you know, that's what he knows. That's what he's best at. And, and, and he's really turning them around. I think it'll probably take maybe another year or two before they're really considered as an elite defense. But I think we see a lot of the, a lot of the same kind of, um, you know, just Cowboys like things uh, with the defense where they'll give up big plays or, or, or they'll miss assignments here and there. Um, and, and, you know, the real thing, and then obviously on the offense, you, you have Dak, you have all the weapons, all the, you know, all the playmakers, and they've been struggling a little bit recently. I think it's just, they, they were really overperforming in the beginning of the season. And now they're kind of just slowing down into really what their mean is. Um, but I think the overall, thing that that makes the cowboys i think more fraudulent than they than maybe their record says or or you know which will kind of prevent them from making a deep run in the playoffs is coaching mike mccarthy is just kind of dumb he doesn't use timeouts correctly his game management is is pretty bad his decision making his play calling is is pretty questionable sometimes and i think that's that's the main reason that, you know, because he used to coach the Packers. He won a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers, right? But over the past, you know, re- the, the recent years before before Matt LaFleur took over, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy really didn't get along at all. And I think Aaron Rodgers really saw through a lot of the stuff that we're seeing now that's being kind of, you know, put on the field by Mike McCarthy and in terms of his decision-making and game planning uh, and game management, where he, he just kind of, he, he makes decisions that will lose his team games. And I think that will, will definitely be an impact going forward. Now on the other side, obviously the Cardinals with Cliff Kingsbury, who also hasn't really been that impressive over the course of his kind of, you know, three year stint here with the Cardinals. Um, but, but has at least, I think, you know, kind of created a good and solid foundation uh, with that team where, you know, you have, and I think the, the most, the best point to look at for this is the three games that Kyler Murray missed in which Colt McCoy was a starter. All right. And who would have expected the Cardinals to win any of those three games? Well, they went two and one, uh, you know, and, and, and so that's, that's really, I think props to Cliff Kingsbury and the system that he's created and the foundation that the Cardinals have where they can be a solid team, even when their best player isn't playing. Um, if Dak Prescott left, you know, wasn't playing for the Cowboys, I, they would not have gone two and one in that span. Right? They would probably would have gone over. Um, so that's that's my outlook on the situation. Um, I, I think that the Cowboys are probably a little bit more fraudulent right now, but I think that 
two. I, I mean, really, the point of this whole topic to begin with is like I could see both of these teams losing in a wild card round uh, or, or, or sorry, divisional round, you know, kind of the first game of the playoffs. Yeah, they'll both have home playoff games, but I really don't see I, I see that, the, you know, a lot of cracks in the walls in terms of these teams and being a solid foundational playoff team. I don't think either of them are, either of them are going to go very far, um, but I think we're really going to only be able to tell once we see the games that are played in the playoffs. Yeah, I would totally agree with you on the Cowboys being less fraudulent than the Cardinals. And I think what you brought up about the, I mean, this is kind of going off on a, on a tangent kind of early here, but what you, what you brought up about Mike McCarthy is, is Mike McCarthy is definitely true because I think back in Green Bay when he when he was the head coach for the Packers, like I think that Aaron Rodgers was Mike McCarthy called the plays there. That was one thing about that's like that's one of his things is that like he always wants to be the play caller. And that was kind of unusual for a head coach, especially because they didn't really have any use for an an offensive coordinator there. But I think that Aaron Rodgers ended up really kind of taking control of the offense rather than Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy was kind of just there, like Matt said, that, you know, call the play in or, you know, say something. And then I feel like Aaron Rodgers would kind of just go off and do his own thing and help them, you know, get to the Super Bowl and, and, and win the Super Bowl like like they did, um, which which is great. That just shows how much, you know, how, how good of a quarterback Aaron Rodgers is. But I think, yeah, that's definitely translating to the Cowboys, because if you think about it, like Dak Prescott isn't that much of a veteran, you know, not near where Aaron Rodgers is, at least yet. And so there's probably some kind of disconnect there where, you know, Mike McCarthy wants to wants his quarterback or is used to having his quarterback kind of take control of the game and, and, you know, kind of cover for his mistakes and play calling or whatever, but Dak Prescott can't really do that. And, um, and so, you know, I guess you could say that there's yet another disconnect between the quarterback and Mike and Mike McCarthy, which is never good. Um, but yeah, I think that Matt, you know, made a good point about Mike McCarthy just not really being the best fit for for a head coaching job there. Another thing that Matt said that I thought was kind of that I might actually disagree with a little bit is the fact that you said that the the Cowboys aren't an elite defense. And I, I honestly I would beg to differ with that. I think that they I think by now they do have a, a very elite defense because Yes, Trey. I mean, everybody hates on Trayvon Diggs for, you know, letting up big plays and being, a, you know, a, a fraudulent ball hawk or whatever. But I mean, he's like, if you think about it, I mean, corners get beat and that's just what happens. Like every corner gets beat in the NFL. Yes. It, you know, his I think his are highlighted because people give him so much hype and they're like, oh, well, he's got 11 interceptions. And then you know, people, haters want to point out the bad things. So they're like, oh, well, look at this play that he got beat on. Dude, every corner gets beat in the NFL. They've got possibly, you know, one of the best front sevens in the whole NFL with um, Micah Parsons, Randy Gregory, um, Demarcus Lawrence, all those guys. Like, that's (laughs) – those are three just scary guys right there in in the front seven. So I think think they've got an elite defense for sure, Um, and it's just their offense that they can't really figure out. And that's sad because they have so many weapons on offense. Like if you, if you think about any part of their offense, there's nothing, there's, there's no position where you say, okay, well maybe they could use a little bit of help there. Like they have stars everywhere. I mean, even their offensive line, like they've had one of the best offensive lines for the past like decade. I mean, they've, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's just really confusing and it's kind of frustrating again. I'm, I mean, I'm not even a Cowboys fan. I, 
like it, in the past, I've even kind of hated on them because they're America's team and it gets kind of annoying when everybody's a Cowboys fan. But like right now I'm rooting for them at least because I don't know. I want, I want Dak to succeed because he got hurt last year, whatever. Um, and it's just kind of frustrating when they don't. The Cardinals, on the other hand, I, I don't even really know how they've gotten to this record um, or, you know, to this point in the season. That game on Sunday was a little bit, maybe a little bit of a fluke, I think. I don't want to call all their wins a fluke because obviously they do have firepower on offense and defense. But, yeah, again, I think that, you know, with injury-prone guys and 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 guys, you know, in and out of the lineup on, on offense for the Cardinals, it just – it doesn't look like it, they don't really have a bright future, in my opinion, in the playoffs. I agree with the fact that they could both both of those teams can lose in the wild card. But, um, you know, all in all, I, I do agree that that the Cowboys are the better of the two teams and they do have a better chance to make it in the playoffs. We've actually already talked about this in the past um, in, in, in a past episode about the, the Cowboys making the playoffs. And I, I don't think much has changed. Like if you go back to that episode and you listen to the takes that we had, I don't think much has changed since that episode. And so, you know, we'll, we'll just have to see coming up on in, in the, you know, last game of the regular season and, and then um, coming up on the playoffs here. Yeah. The one thing you said, which was basically, you know, the, the Cardinals have a bunch of fluke wins and one of the fluke wins you think was, you know, was beating the Cowboys. And then, you know, for, for basically 10 minutes before that, you know, you, we outlined how the car, the, the Cowboys are also kind of fluky. Right. So I think that yeah. kind of just sums up the point of the, of the whole topic is like, both of them are, are kind of somehow in the, you know, the top four seeds in the, in the NFC, which is arguably the more competitive conference uh, in the NFL, but, but have still kind of just risen to the top and, and won these games. And, and obviously credit to them for doing so. It'll just be really kind of, it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. The second NFL topic that we have today is focused on the AFC. Um, and so the two mainstream contenders right now that everybody has circled on their playoff um, is, is, you know, the playoff who to watch for list are the Chiefs and the Bills. Uh, obviously, both of them played in the in the in the AFC championship last year. They were the favorites to make the AFC championship this year. They probably still are, uh, you know, obviously, as both teams are, are definitely going to be in the playoffs here. So we'll maybe throw in the Bengals there, too, in terms of kind of one of the top teams in the AFC after their uh, two recent incredible performances. Joe Burrow has, has been going off. Um, actually, funny stat here. So Joe Burrow is the second quarterback to ever throw for 450 yards and four touchdowns in back-to-back games. The other, I heard this, if you listen to part of my take, you'll hear this, but the other quarterback to do this 450 yards and and four touchdowns in two straight games, Jameis Winston, when he played for the Bucks. How about that? Um, and, and you could totally see it, right? Cause he would just throw for like 500 yards, four touchdowns and like seven interceptions in one game. So um, yeah. So anyway, so, right. So chiefs, bills, Bengals, you know, probably the top, top of the cream of the crop in terms of the AFC. Um, one team that, you know, that, that maybe people are forgetting that's going to kind of be being a little bit underrated, not talked about as much as the Titans. Uh, and especially with Derrick Henry, you know, he's primed for a, a perfectly timed return for the start of the playoffs coming up here. Uh, and so kind of the question here is like, what do we make of the Titans? Why do we think they're being underrated? Um, stuff like that. And, and kind of, you know, what is their positioning in the playoff picture as of now? Yeah, so the first thing, obviously, Derrick Henry was mentioned here, and he's people are saying there's been reports that he might report to practice this Wednesday or as early as this Wednesday, maybe not Wednesday, but Friday or something like that. But I think he's actually returning to practice this week. Um, and if that happens, he probably won't. I mean, he not probably he definitely won't play in the um, in the final game of the season. 
He may, but it's, I mean, if the Titans win this last game, they actually get the number one seed in the AFC and they have home field advantage for the rest of the playoffs and they're playing the Texans. So it's kind of like, do they really need him or not? So I, honestly, if I were them, I would sit there kind of and play the Texans and hope I would win with the, you know, an 11 and five record. So, um, yeah. And I, you know, this is, again, this is another great topic because, like people, I mean, even we have said, you know, all oh, the Chiefs, they're they're just going to do it again. They're going to run over everybody in the playoffs and and go to the Super Bowl for the third year in a row. And you know, they they might win it again this year, make it two out of three years that they've won. But it's like, dude, if the Titans have home a home field advantage and a first round bye, they could very well they could very well make a good run, especially because of their defense. Their defense is a lot. They're playing a lot better than they. Did last year. I don't even know if they have that many additions to the defense this year, but they're playing a lot better than they did last year. And that was kind of really the only missing component to their offense. Again, we, you know, there's, there's injury history with Julio Jones and AJ Brown. So who knows who's going to be ready for the playoffs. I know AJ Brown came back um, this past week, but again, I mean, he could, you know, knock on wood here, but he could get hurt at any point in time um, given his history this season. And so, yeah, it, it'll really just come down to Derrick Henry and if he is healthy enough to, to be 100%. Again, you know, his his injury was, I think it was really just like a, a fractured bone in his foot. And so he's had a lot of time to recover. And I think the the Titans have, have played this out perfectly to where they haven't forced a, a comeback for Derrick Henry until the playoffs. And so they've given him a lot of time to rest. Honestly, he's probably been he's probably been all right for, uh, you know, maybe a couple of weeks here now. And I mean, I'm no doctor, but, you know, a broken foot isn't isn't all that. And so he's probably he's probably been good for a couple of weeks here now. But, um, you know, they're, they've been smart to, to sit him. And I don't know why they wouldn't sit him in in week 18 as well. And then they get another week. I mean, if they if they beat the Texans, they'll get another week to rest him, too. And then he's ready for, you know three weeks from now. And so, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, but yeah, I think that they have like, it's all going to come together. It's kind of like the, you know, it's kind of like uh, Thanos and his infinity stones. Like everything's coming together right at the perfect moment. And I think that they're going to, you know, they might be able to wipe everybody out in the AFC again. It's, it's the chiefs. And, you know, you've, like we said, you know, got the bills, they, those two teams can beat anybody, but again, I mean, we saw the chiefs kind of, it was it was a close loss against the Bengals this past week, and then obviously it took the Bengals. It took Joe Burrow getting over 450 yards and four touchdowns, and Jamar Chase having like the 280 yards and three touchdowns to beat them. But again, I mean, it's you know, it still shows that the Chiefs are vulnerable and that they can get beat by a team like the Bengals, who have been kind of inconsistent throughout this season. And so it'll just be interesting to see because yeah, I think the the Titans actually may have a better chance than both of those other teams. Yeah, so I'm just gonna go. I'm I'm kind of gonna completely disagree on this. I think the I don't know. I I agree that the Titans are being underrated in the, in the sense that they're not really being talked about as serious contenders in the AFC when it comes to you know getting to the Super Bowl and, and winning a bunch of playoffs or uh, playoff games. And that yes, you know they're the one seed and they should be respected a little bit more. But I just I don't I don't think that that's I don't think that there's much value or, or I don't think there's much, you know, to the fact that the Titans should be really, uh, you know, should be thought of as one of these great teams or, or someone that, you know, a team that can make a deep run the playoffs. I'm just kind of low on the Titans overall. So let's just go through their last six games. All right. They had obviously their 34 to three win over the Dolphins this past week, you know, 
it's the Dolphins. Um, and and then they beat the Titans or they beat, they beat the 49ers on Thursday night, you know, a couple of weeks ago. That was a comeback. They were down 20, 10 to nothing and they and they came back and win. You know, good, good game. Um, and then they also beat the Jaguars 20 to nothing. But that's Jaguars, right? The three losses in that span. So, right. So three and three were the last six games. The three losses were to the Steelers in, in a game in which they were up 13 to three and they lose 19 to 13. Uh, they lose to the Patriots by 23 points and, and allowed like, you know, 300 yards of rushing and they lost to the Texans 22 to 13. And so it's like, you just look at that and it's like, they, they aren't good teams beat bad teams in a handily way. And then, and then kind of suffer against the better teams in the NFL. The Titans are not doing that. They are losing to bad teams and, and yes, they're beating bad teams and, and, and kind of coming back against other teams and whatever uh, and, and taking care of business when they should, but they just, they just don't look like a team that can win two. Well, I mean, in their case, if they get the one seed, they'll only have to win two games to get the Super Bowl. But let's say if they, if they're trying to win the Super Bowl, which is obviously every, every NFL team is trying to do that. They don't look like a team that can win three straight games and get hot and beat like the top talent in the NFL um, to actually get there. Whereas, you know, if you think about, if you think about the bills or the chiefs, like I have way more confidence than them in those teams to be able to do that. Uh, and I think the main reason is obviously quarterback play. I just think that yes, Hayden outlined, a, a, you know, a, a myriad ways in which Derrick Henry is going to be extremely important to this team. And when he comes back, if he's fully healthy, you know, he will boost the Titans and, and make them a great team. And so the last six games, as I outlined, like they haven't had Derrick Henry the last six games. And so they've, yeah, they've lost to some bad teams, but they haven't had their best player. Right. So it makes sense. Um, but, but I think that it, when it comes down to it, like if you're going to rely on your running back to be the best player on your team and, and carry you to wins, you know, if you, if you run up against a team that has a good run defense, which, you know, the, the bills do, um, that's going to cause problems for you. And if, and if Derrick Henry can't get going, I just don't feel like you can rely on, on Ryan Tannehill to, to, to carry a team to victory over one of these other really, you know, really solid, great teams in the AFC who have a ton of offensive firepower and, and, you know, and, and good defenses on the other side. Um, the, the second part of this is their defense, which like has been okay, but, but just gives up a lot of rushing yards and, and they're not very uh, woven together on, you know, on the back end when it comes to the defensive backs and, and kind of, you know, defending the pass. I just think that they could be a little bit better. And again, with teams like the Bills and the Chiefs, when you have Patrick Mahomes and, 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 and Josh Allen, who, who will carry their offense and, and score a ton of points, you don't necessarily need to have a buttoned up defense so much so as, you know, because you can kind of just say, all right, well, you know, if we give up a touchdown, we can just rely on, you know, Patrick Mahomes to, to, to Tyreek Hill for 75 yards touchdown, you know, right immediately um whereas again if you're gonna if you're gonna be the titans you're gonna rely on the run game you're gonna rely on on ryan Tannehill. you're gonna need to have a better defense because you know you can't just be running the ball on offense and expect you and expect that to be the reason that your team is you know is carried to the super bowl and the third thing is derrick henry himself obviously yes he's the most important player to the team he's the best player on the team he's the best running back in the nfl but like we don't really know what the nature of his injury was, right? He he went out, he he's put on IR, but they didn't even really come out and say like, here's what specific thing he hurt. And again, maybe like Hayden said, I think it was smart that obviously they didn't rush him back. But but the thing is, even if they didn't rush him back, if it's if it's an injury that could actually impact you know how he plays when he does come back, that could be a serious negative impact to this team going forward. I mean, to the point where you know, right? Yeah, sure. If they get the one seed, they'll have home playoff games all throughout the playoffs. But like, 
it doesn't matter how many home playoff games you have if your best player is still hurt, right? So that's, I think, the main concern there with Derrick Henry is like, yes, it's good that they didn't rush him back. They're still going to get the one seed even without having him for basically half the season. That's really amazing. That's an amazing accomplishment. But like, if he's not ready to come back and he's still hurt, it, it's, it's going to very, I think, you know, very negatively impact the outlook of their playoff success when it comes to being able to, you know, be compared to the better teams in the AFC and actually compete with them in these playoff games. Yes, I think I think those are great points that Matt also brought up and that that, you know, it kind of balances out the equation here that we have. But one thing that I just want to kind of put out there and I know this is, you know, kind of not cheating on in the argument, but it's 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 a little bit you know, it gives me a little bit of an advantage here, but like the team, I mean, the, the games that Matt, most of the games that Matt were talk, was talking about that the uh, that the Titans have lost is without Derrick Henry. And, and you know, I, I don't want to keep on bringing him up, but like he is the X factor on this team. And once you have Derrick Henry in the game, like not even, I mean, even games that he doesn't really do well in, just just the threat of having him there has has, has made the passing game so much better. Another thing that I think is really important in the playoffs, especially is time management. And so if you, you know, if, if they play a team like the chiefs or the bills who have quarterbacks that can go out and score in, you know, 15 seconds, uh, if you can take seven minutes off the clock in one drive that give, I mean, that, that makes the other team that puts the other team in a situation where they can't make a mistake, you know? And like, we've seen Patrick Mahomes make a lot more mistakes this year than he has, than he ever has in any other, in any other year that they've gotten to the Super Bowl, And so I think that if there's a year that the, the Titans can do it with, you know, Patrick Mahomes making more mistakes and everything like that, Josh Allen looking a little bit fraudulent as well in some games, you know, the nine zero loss that they had against the, against the Jaguars earlier in the year. It was nine six, but yeah, nine six, whatever. Um, it's still a loss of the Jaguars. <laughs> that just kind of sums it up. But um. Yeah, I mean, with, with those two guys being a little bit off in some of these games, I think that time management is really going to be crucial. And I think they've got possibly the best um, the what the best way of of you know chewing clock basically in 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 these playoffs. And so I think that's that's another great thing to have in the playoffs, especially in, in the Super Bowl too. That's one thing that Brady does really well is he manages the clock. You know, game management is is what you want to have and you don't really need a great quarterback to go out and win a Super Bowl. The, the, the Eagles beat the Patriots with Nick Foles, who didn't really – he like – I don't even know if he played a snap up until the last week of the season, the regular season, let them, let them all throughout the playoffs, and then won the Super Bowl when they were a wild-card team. So I think that Ryan Tannehill, you know, he's not the best guy in, in the world, not the best quarterback in the world, but I think that he could definitely do it just as well as anybody else. All right, let's go. This is a good topic here. We got some good points on both sides. This yeah. is the type of analytics we're talking about here. Um, good. All right. So let's move on to the next sport, which is going to be college basketball. UCLA, uh, top five team this year, made the final four last year. They have been on a little bit of a COVID watch last couple of weeks. Um, they've either postponed or canceled their last four games, uh, meaning they haven't even played since December 11th. Um, and they're still fifth in the AP poll, top five team, but they've only played they've only they've played three or four games less than every other team that, that you know that's ranked that you know up towards the top or really probably most teams in general. Um, so the question here, as we kind of, you know, as the NFL season comes to a close and, and kind of college bowl games comes to a close, it's like, what's the next big thing on the schedule? It's March Madness, baby. So as we get closer to March, 
what does this, the the COVID situation kind of missing games, not necessarily being able to prove yourself in terms of the performance and, 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 you know, and how good you are when you're comparing to other teams and whatever, um, what is this, how does this impact uh, it when it comes to tournament time, right? And if this happens to other teams in the near future, might there be some way to compensate for this kind of thing when the selection committee is building the bracket for March Madness? Yeah, so I'm just going to kind of give a little brief thing here um, because I don't, I don't think there's much really to identify and I Matt might have more stuff, but the thing that I'm going to really point out is that like if it's just UCLA that this happens to, which we're praying that it is, um, and, th- you know, this was mentioned in the question is, you know, if it's just UCLA that this happens to, we'll be fine. Like the, the tournament will be fine. The selection committee will just kind of deal with it in whatever way they, you know, they want to or whatever way that fits best. But the real problem that we're going to run into is if this happens to a lot more teams in college basketball, especially if it's, you know, if it's across different conferences, because then you have discrepancies within a conference. Like if, if it's, you know, if all the PAC 12 teams have four games canceled, just like the, just like UCLA, then it might not be that much of a problem because same conference, same deal, whatever, but it hasn't been like that. That's the thing is that like UC, um, USC has played, I think 13 games and they're number six, I think. And so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not happening to other teams in the PAC 12. And so it's kind of like UCLA is just kind of an, an oddball here, but if we have too many oddballs, that's when it gets a little bit fishy and that's when the selection committee kind of has to make a decision like, okay, well, what are we going to do with these teams? Are we going to see them lower just because they don't have as many statement wins or statement losses or whatever? Like it's, it's going to be a little bit hairy. And, you know, when it comes time for, for selection Sunday, if there's more teams that this happens to, like I said, if UCLA is the only oddball, it's not really going to be that big of a problem, but I'm just mentioning it now because it seems like, I don't know, it, it's scaring me a little bit. And obviously if, you know, barring anything crazy where maybe there, you know, some crazy outbreak with COVID happens again, and there somehow isn't a tournament again, twice in three years, that will, I will be so sad because it's one of my favorite times of year, Matt, it's Matt's too. And so again, barring anything crazy happening, I think that if, if the, the whole NCAA can keep it under control to an extent, then Selection Sunday and March Madness will be fine, but the only thing that worries me is a lot of a lot of teams, you know, or it, it happening to a lot of teams. I mean, that's an inherent risk to pretty much every sport that's going on now. Obviously, you know, we saw kind of what happened with the bowl games. I think is a good example um, in terms of you know basically just a ton of players on certain teams. We're, we're getting COVID and, and basically, you know, the team's backed out of the bowl game. Um, but I think the, the, the better part, the more positive outlook in, in terms of March madness will be look with the bowl games. We, I mean, we, you know, me and Hayden talked about it a lot on the podcast, but, but that's because we're big fans of the bowl games and we, you know, we're on the, it all, we're all, we're in all of these like pick and pools and stuff like that. Just tripping over my words constantly. Um, and so, we care about the bowl games. We care about what happens, whatever, right? But, but for the to the general public who cares about March Madness, you, you care about March Madness way more than you care about bowl games, right? And so that's the same deal with the NCAA, right? And, and, and CBS and these major media companies who sponsor these events. Everyone cares about March Madness way more than, than, than bowl, college bowl games. I mean, that's serious. That's just a fact, right? And so I think that, 
there's been a little bit of indication in, in recent events to where, okay, we should kind of be worried about, you know, maybe some teams not being, not being able to, to make it to March Madness or whatever, uh, but it's still going to happen. Obviously, I, I think we're going to, we're going to assume that there's not a major outbreak because if there is, then, then obviously, you know, every sport will be canceled. Um, and so, but, but I think Hayden brings up a good point here about like, you know, if, if, it, it will the seeding because seeding is important in March Madness. It, it matters who you get matched up against in what region you get, uh, you know, you get placed in and whatever. Um, but, but so will these teams who have less games on their schedule with, with which are, you know, every game is an, is, is a chance to win. Every game is a chance to prove yourself and your worth and, and your value in comparison to the other teams that may be, you know, trying to make, uh, you know, make the final 64 teams. I'm not sure how much it's going to impact the the or how much the selection committee is going to necessarily take into account really how many games a team has played or what specific games were postponed. I think that in terms of like seating between, you know, an eight and a nine, like, yeah, you can take that. You can take that into consideration. But at the end of the day, like UCLA is a team that's going to make March Madness, right? They're, they're going to be in the bracket. And so for a team like that, I don't think it matters as much as maybe a team that is an eight or an eight or a nine seed, which has been kind of like a, a middle of the pack team in their conference for the, for the, for, you know, for the year. And maybe they made a good run in their conference tournament, but you know, okay. If they could look, they look good in their conference tournament, but they missed five games, uh, you know, against teams that they would have maybe lost to, well, do they deserve to be in over a team that played all their games and played good competition? That's when really, I think it's only going to kind of matter in terms of what the seating is, but like big picture here, it's March Madness and like the event itself and the bracket and everything is, is going to, is going to happen. And, and, and this, and the small details and, and the discrepancies in who gets seated over who, or, or what the selection committee decides in terms of what games were canceled or not. It's like, at the end of the day, dude, like we're going to end up with a bracket in our hands and that's the best thing that we can ever hope for. Right. Um, and so and so March Madness is still going to happen. Um, I do, but I, yeah, I, I think it is, it is a worthwhile concept to consider um, obviously for, for, for closer fans of the sport who really follow kind of teams and, and, and you know, nearly every game they play, that's going to be, that's going to be a really big decision um, or, or I guess an impact in terms of, even in terms of like the seating for the conference tournaments, right? Because the way that college basketball works is, you play the regular season, all right, and then you play the conference tournament. And what the conference tournament is is basically like a, a you know a smaller miniature version of March Madness for the teams that are only in your conference. Okay, so like the Big Ten, right? You got Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Minnesota, all those teams in the Big Ten. After their regular season, they get seated based on their record overall in all the thirty or thirty-one games or whatever they play, as well as their conference record. So, in the twenty games that they played against the other teams in their conference. Every team in each conference gets seated like that, and they play a bracket-style tournament, and then whoever wins gets an automatic bid. Basically, you know, they're automatically into March Madness, whereas the other teams kind of are jockeying for position and, and seating there on um, after. And so... And so that's kind of going to be also an interesting thing is like, how will the teams who don't end up playing a lot of conference games um, get seated in their own conference tournament? And will that affect their ability to kind of maybe win their conference? Uh, because when we think about it, you know, teams teams from the Big Ten, like, yeah, whoever wins the Big Ten will get an automatic bid. But there's also going to be like six or seven other teams from the Big Ten that make it just because the power of five schools are, are the best teams in college basketball and, and the most, you know, the 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 
they just have the best players and the best skill and the best talent overall, whatever. Um, but, but conferences like, you know, like the Missouri Valley, right. You, these random conferences, even um, the West coast conference, the conference that Gonzaga plays in realistically, it's probably going to come down to like the, the one team that wins that conference because every team, every conference in college basketball, the winner of the conference tournament gets the automatic bid into into the into March Madness. And so you can say a team that goes 31 and two during the regular season, if they don't win their conference tournament and they're in one of these smaller conferences, they don't make it to March Madness. It's only who wins the conference tournament. Um, and so that's why seeding is important because if you're the number one seed, then you play the worst teams on your on your path to winning the conference. Um, but 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 right, you know, if if, if it is going to be interesting to say, like Hayden mentioned, the USC versus UCLA example, like if you if UCLA has three or four less games played than UCLA and they're against teams like Arizona and and, and Colorado who are solid teams in the Pac-12 you know, they might be seated lower in, in the, you know, in the PAC 12 tournament. And then that kind of will impact then too. Like, well, if they don't make a good run in the PAC in the PAC 12 tournament itself, but they're obviously still going to be in March madness. Like, you know, maybe we can kind of take advantage of that in terms of like, Hey, this team's actually better and we can pick some winners in, in March madness. I can't wait till March madness. I'm just thinking about it. And I'm like, Oh my God, we're going to have so much fun picking yeah, our dude. brackets and going over them. And that that's going to be like, it's, we're going to do like a fun segment, but for the entire Tuesday episode is gonna be an hour and a half of me and Hayden talking about our brackets. Yeah, um, it's gonna be awesome. But yeah, so I think it is it is a good topic to consider and 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 talk about and see what happens. But I think that overall, like we're still gonna have March Madness and, and and whatever the selection committee decides, they decide the bracket is what it is. We're gonna get a, we're gonna have it in our hands. We're gonna make our picks, and it's gonna be the best you know the best time of the year ever is is the Thursday and Friday, the best two days of the year, Thursday and Friday. Um, you know, in the, the the second week of March when you know when when the when the first round of the NCAA tournament is played. Yeah, it's also just, you know, right around the time of my birthday, which everybody knows that's the greatest okay, time of the year. we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> well, moving on to NBA. So we got a little split topic here, college basketball and NBA. Our topic here is we, we've got a little bit of a star watch, all right? So we've got Jalen Brown who plays for the Celtics, he scored 50 points in an overtime win. I think it was either, I think it was two days ago against the Magic. And um, Kyrie is also set to come back at the end of this week. So these two players, I mean, Jalen Brown, he's been playing all season. Kyrie, on the other hand, hasn't. And if you don't know the whole backstory, then pretty much in a nutshell, Kyrie is he's, he's not vaccinated and so he's not allowed to play. Um, but he's being brought back for a little bit like like a part time player, it's called, um, where he can only play in, in, in certain games. And so Matt will probably explain more of that um, when he answers this. But the the overarching question here is what impact do each of these players, both Jalen Brown and Kyrie, have on the success of their respective teams? So the, I wanted to bring this up specifically because. Obviously, right. There are two stars, two you know major markets in in, in the Eastern Conference. Um, both teams that obviously the Nets, you know, were in the were in the conference finals last year and, and probably should have won if literally if Kevin Durant had a had a half sh- half half size smaller shoe. Um, and obviously the Celtics kind of fallen off in the past couple of years, but when, you know, when Jaden, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown first started getting going there, I mean, they were making the conference finals as well. So I think kind of it's, it's, it's good to, it's good to kind of talk about 
these two teams and kind of how they're going and how maybe their stars are kind of impacting their success or lack thereof. And that's kind of what I want to focus on here. So let's talk about the Celtics real quick. We mentioned them at the very beginning of the season when they were kind of underperforming and they, and they still are. And, and this has been a, this has been kind of a, a, a running theory for the past few years now. Right. I mean, ever since they made the conference finals, I think like, four or five years ago um it's just just been a steady decline uh in in their amount of regular season the the wins that they get in the regular season their seeding in the playoffs how far they get in the playoffs um and i think that's in large part due to the fact that it's just tough to to kind of just kind of it's it's tough to see like how their roster plays together. Obviously you have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown who are, who are major stars. And like, you've had a Kyrie in there, you've had a Kemba Walker in there and none of them have really been able to mesh together. Obviously Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have been there kind of for the long run throughout these, you know, both of those kind of stints of, of those kind of, you know, top, top point guards in the NBA here. But like, realistically they just haven't been able to put things together and brad stevens you know did a great job when he was when he was first coaching there and and, and got him to the conference finals even before they had Jalen brown and jason tatum then they drafted both of them and, and 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 you know and they they popped off right away and they were doing really well and right and it's just kind of it's just kind of deteriorated since then um danny ainge left he's not the gm there anymore he obviously brad stevens got promoted to the, to the gm position and they hired um I forget his name, but or the first name, but Udoka is is the is now the coach of the Celtics. Um, and he didn't he wasn't necessarily I think he he like had a had a short brief time in the NBA. He wasn't ever like a a, a, a you know a consistent player or anything. Um, and so now he's kind of coaching them. And and really, what's been happening, I think, at least from what I've been reading, is like. He's trying to challenge Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to be, you know, to, to do different things or be kind of better than they were, work together in different ways than I guess that they're used to. And they're not really listening to him too much. And so it's kind of creating some tension there. And, and but but like my thing is like, and, and a lot of people are saying, like, oh, well, you know, he Udoka never played in the NBA. He doesn't know what it's like to coach these guys, and he doesn't know what it's like to actually play in the NBA. So he shouldn't be telling them what to do and they're proven stars. But it's like, dude, at the end of the day, like they've been doing what they're doing for the past however long. And sure they had some great success at the beginning but now they're not doing much and it's and it's really being reflected in the amount of wins that they have in the regular season as well as their decline and how far they're going in the playoffs and so I think that sure we can we can marvel at Jalen Brown getting 50 points in an overtime win and and Jalen or Jason Tatum I think at 60 maybe uh I guess it was uh well, that might have been last season, but I think it, this season he had a 50 point game or something and it was, you know, all he's great. And they both have, you know, they both have endorsements and they're all over subway commercials and whatever, but it's like, they're not really working together very well. I don't know. Again, I don't watch every game. And so I'm not exactly seeing how they're playing and maybe how they could improve. So I don't really have suggestions on that end of it. But at the same time, it's like something does need to change because they've been doing the same thing for however long. And it's just only been getting worse. Um, and maybe it's, maybe it's not just those two, obviously they're, I think they're very similar players. Um, and, and if you even look at the stats, I mean, Jason Tatum's just had, he, he just at, by, I think by himself, he just has kind of like, he started out really amazing. And then the past two years, I think like literally two years in a row, he's like his isolation shooting and whatever has been has significantly declined. And I think that's due to, it's not, 
him, you know, his, his basketball skills declining. I think it's just him thinking that he has to do everything for the team. And so he takes a lot more shots than he should, or he takes shots that he normally wouldn't have before. Jalen Brown's like, Hey man, give me the ball. And, and then when he does, Jalen Brown doesn't, you know, isn't making a shot. So it's just kind of a combination of bad stuff going on. And so I think that they probably just need another piece there, right? They need someone to kind of just glue the team together who, where Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can still be the stars, but aren't necessarily being the ones that are, you know, kind of relied upon for wins and, and, and kind of playoff depth, uh, you know, going, going aside. The second team topic, you know, person, whatever is Kyrie. He'll, he's going to be playing at the end of this week again. This is a controversial topic. We're not going to get into the vax, anti-vax stuff or, or why he wasn't playing. There, I mean, it's just, it was whatever. There's a lot of stuff there, um, but he's coming back, right? And that, that's the important part. And I think that for, for what the question here is like, obviously the Nets are, are extremely successful in contrast to what I was saying about the Celtics, where, you know, they need, they need to figure something out quickly here because they're really sliding. The Nets are the number one seed in the East. They were the number one seed or, you know, basically, you know, sh- sh- were the best team in the, uh, in the East um, last year. And, and, and obviously Duran has been completely carrying them and Harden's been good when he's in and, and, you know, they've kind of even rested them in certain points or whatever. They're still the number one seed. And so I think that for as much controversy as Kyrie brings, and, and you can say that, oh my gosh, they're bringing him back. So, you know, and he's going to mess up the team and him playing with hard, you know, they're not going to be good. They're going to start losing games here, whatever. Sure. They may. Um, but at the same time, it's like, they've already built a lead in being the number one seed in the East and they're number one, you know, to, to the bulls who like, yeah, the bulls are a very solid team, but I think that they have a very good kind of solid plan here, unlike the Celtics, right? Where like they have, they know the stars that they have in James Harden and Kevin Durant, and they know the other star that they have who hasn't played yet in Kyrie Irving. And it's like, hey, buddy, like we're halfway through the season. Let's get Kyrie in there. Let's see what he can start doing. Get him start acclimated with the team, right? As we approach the playoffs. And I think that it's, I think that it's all going to work out very well. And, and obviously, you know, you can have your opinions about Kyrie and, and he's not necessarily the, you know, he doesn't make the brightest comments. Let's just put it that way. Um, but like at the end of the day, he's a baller and, 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 and you have to kind of, if he wants to play, he's going to play. Obviously it looks like he's going to play because that was the big concern. It's like, does he actually even want to play basketball anymore? Clearly he does. He's going to be playing at the end of this week. And so really what we have to consider here is like, you know, is this the correct decision? I think a lot of people are going to say, well, they shouldn't have even given a chance. They should have cut him or whatever, all this stuff. But look, if he wants to play and the team wants him to play, and obviously he's a great talent he can really only be an upgrade to this team. Again, it's going to take some time for him to get acclimated to, you know, kind of how their schedule's going and whatever. And maybe, maybe he won't play away games, only play home games, whatever. I don't know how that's going to work. Um, but I think that this is the perfect time to do it because they're already the number one seed they, they, you know, they have all this time for the rest of the regular season. And, and he's a, and he's a great player who's going to be added to a team of other great players. Right. So I think that it's, I think that they have a very solid plan in place and Steve Nash is doing a great job coaching them. Um, whereas you have kind of a, a mess with the Celtics. I think these teams are just really on either they're, they're kind of going on either, you know, kind of side right now, either extreme. Um, I think the Nets are, are, for as much kind of controversy as they're stirring up, um, they have a good plan and a solid, you know, a solid kind of future here when it comes to the end of the regular season and preparing themselves for the playoffs. Whereas the Celtics are kind of just relying on two players who are really great players and, and who have brought them a lot of success in the past, but just kind of relying on them and don't necessarily have a plan here going forward. 
Yeah, so I totally agree with the whole Jalen Brown thing, and I think Matt really said everything that there is to be said about that team. Um, you know, I'm my my team is the Celtics, and I don't I don't really follow the Celtics as much as I do, you know, the Patriots or whatever. But yeah, I mean, it's it's just sad, and honestly, I think it's been kind of more of a factor in me not following them as much is because their team, like their team, is just so confusing. Like Matt said, they just they looked so good for those couple of years where Jason Tatum and, and, um, and Jalen Brown were rookies and, and really young and everything. But then now that they've kind of matured and grown together in the same, on the same team, it's like, it's like they don't really have any chemistry in the first place. And so it's kind of just, it's kind of just a weird situation, but I, what I really want to talk about is the Kyrie situation. And like Matt kind of like Matt alluded to in his talk is, you know, the whole situation here is, that Kyrie can only play in away games and there's, he can play in every away game that they have left, except for, I think three, there's like two in Madison square garden and then one somewhere else where according to COVID protocols, like he's not going to be able to play because he's unvaccinated, but everywhere else he's going to be able to play. So they have, I think 48 games left and he can play in 24 of them or something like that. I think it's exactly half. Um, And so yeah, so the idea here, the idea here is that the NBA, like the, a, a bunch of teams, started bringing back, or they, they started bringing part-time players onto the team. There was some retired players starting to get signed. Um, I think not, not Joe Harris. Wasn't was it Joe Harris? It was Joe the, Johnson. Joe, Joe, Joe Harris does play for them. He's the guy. Yeah. that's all the threes. He actually went to UVA, but Joe Johnson is like the retired guy who he was like a big three yeah. guy with the with the whole tournament there, and they resigned him. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Joe Johnson came and he was retired and he came back for, as, to be a part-time player for the Nets. And so, yeah, and there's been a couple other guys, a couple other guys too. But Kyrie's one of those guys where like he's he's not retired and he's supposed to be playing, but he's just unvaccinated. And the Nets have kind of just been like, okay, well, you can come play for us if you want and be a part-time player, but not even really because of COVID. I mean, maybe it was at first, but I think now it's kind of just like, okay, well if everybody else is doing this, then you can kind of just come back if you want and you can play for us when you're allowed to at the NBA. And it's, you know, and it's kind of a sticky situation for, especially for Kyrie. Cause like Matt said, Kyrie in the past has never, he, there's been some controversial things with him and, you know, locker room and, and how he gets along with other players and everything like that. He's, you know, like Matt said, he hasn't really made the greatest decisions. And so I think, him being the player that he is, this is maybe like a little bit of more, you know, it it has more significance that this is a situation that he's in. But I think that one thing we're going to see is Kyrie and I mean, um, Kevin Durant and James Harden have been playing fine. Like Matt said, they're first in the East. They've been playing fine without him. But I think one thing we're going to see is like once they, once he gets back in the lineup, it's going to mix things up because Yes, the games that he, the home games that he's, that Kyrie's not playing in, Kevin Durant and James Harden probably won't have a problem because they've been playing without him all season so far. But once he starts coming back into those, into those away games, the transition from away games to home games might be a little bit fishy just because, like, you know, James Harden actually, I think James Harden has the second worst, he is the second worst, or no, the second lowest. Um, shots, shot attempts per game this season that he has that he's had in his whole career. He's had the so far he's he's had the worst shooting, true shooting percentage that he's had in his career so far. 
this season. So it's he's not really playing like up to James Harden standards. And so I think when Kyrie comes back, maybe they're going to rely too much on Kyrie. And then that's going to when they go back to playing home games, it's going to be like, okay, well, Kyrie's not here. What do we do? You know, James Harden actually came out and said himself about the situation. I saw a report that said that um, James James Harden said something like, you know, I just want to feed my teammates. And now that Kyrie's coming back, like he'll be, you know, he can take some weight off my shoulders or something. Like he said something about like Kyrie taking weight off his shoulders or, you know, taking responsibility for the team from, from him. And that's how that's kind of a good thing. But then again, like he's not going to be playing in every game. So you can't rely on him for that. And like, there's going to be a discrepancy between away games and home games. It might just mesh up the whole like game plan and, and flow of the game. Um, but again, like Matt said, I mean, the, there's three stars there and they're, you know, they're going to play well regardless on their own. It's just when it comes down to like playing against actual, you know, good teams where they actually need to have teamwork and, and pass the ball well and, um, you know, take their own response or take an equal amount of responsibility for the team. That just might not work out because, again, they're going to have, you know, this difference in in star play on their team um, between home games and, and away games. But yeah, that's, I don't know. That probably seemed a little bit confusing, but I was basically just trying to say that like James Harden is saying that he's not going to have as much responsibility now that Kyrie's coming back, but why is, is that go- a good thing when he's not going to come back for the whole season, you know? So, um, but yeah, that if Matt has nothing else to say about that, then, um, then we can move on to our fun segment here. And so, we it's it's not really holiday related. I guess I mean I guess it kind of is. It's um it's New Year's, yeah. So it's not New Year's actually today. It's we were planning on doing this on Saturday, which actually was New Year's, but um we pushed it to today. So January fourth, basically New Year's. All right. Um and so obviously everybody knows that with the new year you bring in new resolutions, and so we are gonna ring in or pretend to ring in some new rules to sports. So we've got football, basketball, and golf for the three sports. And Matt and I are each going to ring in a new rule or we're either going to add a rule or change an existing rule in those sports um, in order to make the sport better or more funny or whatever in in, in some kind of way. And so I'm just going to start off first with with football here. And um, my my new rule, actually, my yeah, my new rule, I guess, is um, – is bringing back cool touchdown celebrations. Now, if you've been watching the NFL for a while, you you know that like guys used to dunk the ball in the goalpost, and um, you know they used to like chuck the ball into the stands and do these crazy spikes and and whatever like that. But those all those I think all three of those celebrations got banned at some point. I think the spike you can do now. I'm not very sure. I th- either that or only Gronk can do it because I think Gronk does it anyway, and he might get fined for it like every time he does it. But it's Gronk, so he can do what he wants. Um, but all three of those got banned at some point. I know the upright, the dunking on the upright is still banned and probably will be because it's kind of like a safety hazard. Um, but yeah, it's like, dude, I want to see cool celebrations after touchdowns. I don't, these new like team celebrations where they play like duck, duck goose and stuff. That's, that's funny and all, but it's like, dude, I, you guys aren't five-year-olds. Like you should be able to, you're, you're literally the best athletes in the world. You should be able to show off your athleticism and dunk a ball through an upright. In my opinion, that it's just kind of I don't know. It it was sad. It it was it was very sad when they banned that 
um, or when they made all those celebration rules. And I just want those back. My uh, rule change in the NFL is getting rid of the taunting penalty. Are you kidding me? What are we doing with this? It is literally a, like a sport in which you put on pads and hit someone to the hardest of your capabilities. All right. And so these taunting penalties are just getting completely out of control. Refs are calling it for like acts like, right. Like when you like, when you like look down on someone or you step over them. All right. Like whatever. That's just, that's part of the game. And, and, but, but it's like, do you understand what type of things these guys say to each other? Like just, you know, just like, just verbally. I mean, it's horrible. Some of this stuff, but they're not getting penalized for that. They're only getting penalized for like, you know, looking at the guy wrong after they make a play on the ball. It's, it's, it's so bad. And it's a, and it's 15 yards, right. Which is like, uh, can completely change a game. I think the, the, the worst, uh, the worst example of the whole taunting thing happened this past weekend, actually Um, in, in the bills and Falcons game, Matt Ryan runs in a touchdown and, and and then like turns around and spikes the ball and then like says something to the defender, Jordan Poyer. um, and, And I don't, you know, whatever he said, I don't know, but he gets called for a taunting penalty. And it's like, first of all, this is Matt Ryan, all right, running into the end zone. And, and, and so what is he saying to Jordan Poyer that, like, necessitates a, a taunting penalty? I don't think it can be anything serious. But what happened was they called back the touchdown because apparently his knee was down or whatever. So they called it back. It's not a touchdown. But they still counted the taunting penalty. And it's like, what are we doing here? If you call off the touchdown, you call off the penalty that's associated with it. So they couldn't score a touchdown. And and, and the whole thing, and it's just, it's a mess. Um, and it's like, this is football. It's, it's we're, we're playing a game in which people are literally hitting each other as hard as they possibly can. And they're saying horrible things to each other to, you know, psych them out or whatever. It's all part of the game. And so it's like, if some guy steps over someone or he throws a shoe, like whatever, dude, it's football i totally agree i i hate the taunting penalties they make me so mad when i see them um but moving on to basketball my new rule for basketball is is it's not it's actually probably my most practical in terms of like not changing the game much um and it's it's that alley-oops should be worth three points instead of just two now you guys are probably looking at me like well okay it's a shot inside the three-point line why should it be three points now if if you watch basketball at all you cannot tell me that an alley-oop is not the coolest play in all of basketball it it is by far the coolest thing that you'll see in basketball and so that's why i think it should be worth three points if you think about it like every team has the ability to alley-oop so it won't really it won't really like create this crazy discrepancy between teams um and I mean, if we're talking discrepancy between, I mean, the Warriors have Steph Curry who can shoot threes better than anybody else can and that better than anybody else has in history. So I feel like any, you know, any team that has better alley-oopers, so be it. So, so be it. Let them score three points on those alley-oops because they're really cool. And I honestly, I mean, it'll, it'll, uh, it'll incentivize guys to throw up more alley-oops and make cooler plays. So that's why not have it. Yeah, I really like that. And 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 then it would it would almost it would change the game in a way too because you'd have like people run into the basket. It's like if you ever watch volleyball, you watch like all like everyone's like always running to the net and like fake jumping and trying to block or whatever, but it would be like that in basketball where you have like plays specifically run so that you can get an alley-oop. I think the only thing would be like the 
like the definition of like whether if it's like if it does if it's a dunk if it counts or if it's a layup because they kind of do like yeah. both things but no i think that would be really cool and it would be like kind of cool to like change the game in that way and it'd be it would like hayden said it would incentivize people to actually kind of like go to the basket now instead of just shooting threes all the time uh my rule change for basketball is not necessarily a rule change it's just like a, a notice to the refs to just get their rules straight is like there doesn't have to be a foul called every time that there's contact at the rim, all right? And so you'll see this all the time when a guy's driving in, college and NBA, guys driving to the hoop, you know, you, you get it, you get a little layup in, you get a little, you know, whether it's a, it's a good play for the offense or for the defense, you, you, a layup or a block or whatever, a foul is always called, and it's like, which way is the ref going to decide? Is he going to give free throws to the offense or is he going to, you know, make possession go the other way, you know, with, with, the, with the charge? And it's like, there are good defensive plays and offensive, you know, where the combination of the offensive player and the defensive player meeting at the rim where there is no foul either way. Right. But it's like, we've gotten to the point where whenever there's, and the NBA is terrible with it. It's like, not even on plays where there's contact at the rim. It's just like, if there's like any contact at all, it's like up foul. It's like, you know, come on, dude. But it's just, it's so, I think the refs have kind of made it about them in like the drives to the rim. And it's like, you know, in a close game at the end and, you know, the guy runs the guy over and it's like, he blows the whistle and he like, you know, points the other way and the possession's going. Yeah. It makes it cool for like people who know what's going on and like the possession change and whatever. But it's like, at the end of the day, like if that wasn't a foul, don't call a foul because it doesn't have to be a foul. So that's my, that's my deal with basketball. So it's, it's not even NBA related. It's both basketball and, you know, or college and NBA. And it's really more of just like the refs need to kind of control what they're doing and, and realize that there can be a, sometimes a no call in a situation where otherwise they just call a foul every time. Yeah, I totally agree. The NBA has gotten very soft with their, with their, um, with their foul calls. And especially because basketball is like, it's technically been considered a contact sport for, many years and so if you're like if it's a contact sport it should not foul for contact especially not any you know non-egregious contact but yeah whatever with that um moving on to our last sport which is golf this is kind of a little switch up here because we haven't talked about golf in a long time and i think that mad and i are both just itching to talk about golf which we might start to talk about it tournament of champions starting this week baby yeah exactly yeah first week of the year first week of the door <laughs> but yeah um so my new rule for golf and actually it's not really a new rule it's just changing a rule is um if you guys don't know i mean we've talked about bryson dechambeau probably the most out of any other golfer on this podcast uh, but bryson dechambeau he started the arm lock putter slash putting style and i think that should be illegal because here's the thing the pga or professional golf and you know, you know has made this rule where you can't like they, they, they have these specific putting rules where, and I, and I think the, the first thing that they banned was if you hold your putter against any, like any part of your chest or your, um, your torso or, or any, any part like that, if you hold the putter against there, then you can't pivot it off of like one, um, one point. And so, because it, it creates like too much stability and it creates an uneven playing field, for people that don't do that, but it's like, okay, well, if, if that's your putting style, if that works best for you, then why can't, like, if, if everybody can do it, then why can't it be allowed? Like, it, it's, it shouldn't be banned in my opinion, but this arm lock putter thing is literally just like the exact same thing. You're just, the pivot point is just like your shoulders. Like you're just 
because you 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 are you lock your you essentially just lock your left hand and then you just move your shoulders with the putter and that's supposed to make for more stability and you know you don't get as many miss hits whatever on 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 the 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 putter face and so my thing is like if he's doing this how is that not illegal when you can't pivot it around one point it, it just it just doesn't really make much sense and I'm actually surprised that not a lot of other players have gone to it yet but I feel like the the up and coming guys that want to be like Bryson DeChambeau and hit, you know, 400 yard drives are going to start doing that just because he's doing it. And it's, I don't know, it's just going to become problematic um, in my opinion, because it, it, to me, it gives an unfair advantage because it is like the same thing as pivoting off or having one pivot point and just, you know, hitting the putter or hitting, hitting your putts like straight every single time. Um, and it's giving an unfair advantage to those who do do it. Um, and so if you're going to make one rule, you got to ban another. And that, that's just my take on it. Yeah. And, and I mean, Bryson DeChambeau is considered like obviously all his driving stuff and he's annoying as a person or whatever. He is one of the best putters in the world. And, and I think a lot of that is due to the, due to the, the arm lock thing. And, um, and, and I think that, you know, it, it really is a competitive advantage, which, you know, sometimes you can consider it cheating. I think that, yeah, I think it, it, it probably shouldn't be a part of the game um, because it really should be based on how, you know, how you're able to put, with all of your body parts being moving and you yeah. know, whatever. So um, my rule change here, it's, it's not, again, it's not necessarily a, a, like a, like a by the book, like rule change, whatever, but, and a lot of people don't know about this, but like, there's actually a thing in golf where if you're watching golf on TV and you see something happen in the, in the play of game. Right. So, or if it's like, if it's like, you know, a guy hits his ball accidentally, you know, it moves it like a centimeter or whatever, you can actually call in to the PGA and whenever their live event, live event or whatever is going on and literally tell them, like, look back at the footage. This is like a cheating thing or whatever. Like this guy needs to have a stroke added to his hole or whatever. You can actually call in and, and like, they'll like look back at it and they'll grant it. And, and, and that's like how, and it's like, what like why is this a rule like you yeah. literally just have a bunch of like karens calling into the pga and being like um i think he stepped on a wood piece of um, pine needle instead of his but it's like what are we doing just play the sport and if it's egregious then it's egregious all right but we saw patrick reed get into this a bunch last year and it's like he, he, obviously he has his own kind of temperaments and and he you know tries to bend, bend the rules a little bit sometimes um but he's a great player right and it's like why are we allowing people to uh, and, and it's, like, it's not even one of those things that incentivizes people to watch because why would you like i don't think that's you know like that's not something you would advertise like hey guys we want to get people, more people to watch golf um well one of the good things we can do is just have people call in and like ruin a golfer's day you know it's just like yeah. i don't think that should be a rule or, or i mean it's not even a rule necessarily but it's just like something the pga allows and actually like they grant the complaints of these people who call in and it's like why what it's a professional sport can we just have what happens happen and like if some guy gets away with something one time then okay but it's like we can't be just stopping play all these times to just let people like complain and get it you know get it overturned yeah i completely uh, completely agree with that I actually, um, I think I've heard of that before, but I hadn't really even, like, I hadn't heard of all the Patrick Reed scandals and everything from last year. So that's, that's just interesting because it's like, dude, literally anybody could just, like, somebody who just doesn't even know about anything about golf could just call in. And I don't know. it's It just brings, it brings a whole other element to the game because it's like, yeah, then the viewers have an effect on how, you know, the majors are, are played and how, um, 
you know, the outcome of, of really important matches in, in golf. And so it's just kind of like, why is that happening? Um, but yeah, so that concludes our, our um, regular content of the episode. Now, Matt, I bet you has a betting lock here to share oh, with yeah. us. So I'll let him go ahead with that. Well, people, we are at a turning point in the history of the first down rundown podcast. All right. Well, here's what happened. We went one and four to start on the betting. It was, it was terrible. I was down. I was out. I didn't know how I would get back. All right. But guess what we did? We went three in a row. Okay. So here we are. We're sitting at four and four. We're even on a year. Now, this is tough. Okay. We didn't give one away yesterday because we were on vacation, whatever you, or um, last week, excuse me. Um, you can ask Caden about that if you want to. Um, anyway, so we got to give one away this week. It's tough because like I said, it's week 18. You have some teams have already clinched a playoff berth. Some teams haven't. Some teams are going to be playing their starters. Some people are, some teams are going to be resting their starters. Some teams are vying for draft position, right? You know, down at the bottom, some teams, who knows um, the, the COVID situation, you have injuries. It's going to be a tough week to handicap. There aren't even a lot of lines out right now, to be honest, but I got one. Okay. What was one of the, the most profitable strategies for us as we were kind of getting on this winning streak here was fading bad teams. We're going to go back to the well. The Washington football team is playing the New York Giants this week. Okay. It's a divisional game. I get it. It's on the road for the Redskins, for the, for the Washington football team. I get they're also going to name uh, – they're, they're, they're going to, like, drop their new team name, I think, on February 2nd or something. Um, so that'll be interesting. But anyway, um, we're taking them, okay? They're laying six and a half. It's a little bit – you know, it's a little bit much for a divisional game, especially when, you know, the football team is also not, like, a great team by any means. But, like – they played well enough against the Eagles. I, they didn't score a single point in the second half last week. I, whatever. They lost to the Eagles. But they look good in the first half at least. But the Giants, dude, are just an absolute train wreck. They, they lost 29-3 to to the Bears last week. They had negative 10 total yards. I mean, how is that even possible in a football game? That doesn't happen in, like, the last, like, 20 years. So, I, there are so, and, and and you heard Joe Judge after the game, he was like, "Oh, Giants players are calling from from past years are calling me up saying they wish we still they still played." What are you talking about, dude? So they already they already said that he's going to be the coach there next year. They're not going to fire him, but it's like clearly they need to they need to get rid of everyone. Whatever they're gonna, Daniel Jones is still out. They're going to have Mike Lennon or Jake Fromm. Both of them suck. So like. This organization just as a whole is complete, complete turmoil right now. And so I think that, again, we, you know, as we've been doing throughout the season, like we're just going to bet against the Giants. All right. So what we're doing is we're taking a football team minus six and a half later points. Dude, that was, you know, funny you mentioned that about um, the Giants, because like I was uh, I was listening to one of part of my takes episodes and it was the, the week 17 or week 16 recap. Um, and they were, they did like their little uh, two minute rundown at the, at the beginning that they do. And, um, <laughs> and I, I think it was, I think it was big cat in, in his thing. He was talking about the, the giants and he was like, and it was, it was the game that Jake Fromm played. And he was like, and yes, Jake Fromm answered the age old question. Is there a professional quarterback worse than Mike Glennon? Yes, there is. Like, <laughs> it's funny because like, they both play on the same team. So it's like, geez, dude, these guys are like the Giants have been left with these guys for the past. I don't even know, like half the season. And they just 
sucks so bad. It's just, oh my gosh, it's hard to watch. Um, but yeah, I honestly like, and I don't, I don't know if this is a, a thing. It might be, but like, I, and I was thinking about this for the Browns um, last night, actually. I was like, why are they playing their starting players like Nick Chubb and Baker Mayfield, who Baker Mayfield's played through every inj- every injury known to man this season. So it's like, why are they still playing their players when they're not, they have no chance for the playoffs. And I, I guess, cause it was just a divisional game against the Steelers and every AFC North game is like the Super Bowl to their, to each team in the conference. I mean, in the division. So it's like, you might as well play your starters and try, but um, it looked like the, like the Cleveland Browns were not trying at all in that game. So it was just kind of confusing, but like, I, I feel like a lot of team and I don't know, like I said, I, I don't know if this is actually a thing in past seasons, but like do losing teams actually like sit their players at the end of the season or do they, do they still play, you know? I it's, it's, it's just a toss up. Usually. I mean, it's like, it depends on like, they're obviously never going to come out and say that they're trying to lose. That's the thing is like, you can't, yeah. you can't say that, but like, I think, you know, vying for draft position is a big thing. Like, I don't think the lions or the Jaguars are going to try to lo- try to win this week because both of them are, you know, vying for the number one pick overall. So it's like, you know, I, I nobody's going to ever come out and say, yeah, we're trying to lose because you can't do that or else that's just like, an integrity to the game thing. That's like, that's yeah. so bad. Right. But let's like, at the end of the day, like a team, a team, that's what I'm saying is like a team, like the giants right now would much, I would say, I would think much rather lose this game because they also have, they have the bears first round pick from last year when they traded up to get Justin Fields. Um, so they already have two first round picks. And if they, you know, the worse they finish the higher draft pick they get, and clearly they need a lot of draft picks. And it's like the football team, they're going to be kind of middle of the pack losing this game on purpose won't necessarily impact their draft stock or their draft position very much. I think they have way more, you know, way more motivation to play, but, but yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I don't, I don't think that we, people will come out and say it, but I think that, you know, certain teams will definitely try to purposefully lose to improve their draft position. um, Even though, you know, they necessarily aren't like locked in for the playoffs. Like you said, the Browns, like, it's interesting. I agree. It's interesting. They did, but obviously like that's a, that's a prime time game. And so it's like, if you don't start, if you don't like play your starters, that's just a clearly, you know what I'm saying? It's like there there's, there's, there's some conspiracy theories behind the NFL too. It's like, you know, like if, you could tr- you could not play your starters in to be like you know oh we want to rest them for next year and stuff but the NFLs are going to be like no you're going to play your starters and we'll you know we'll pay you an extra like however many million dollars you know what I'm saying it's like there's a ton of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, for sure. I didn't really even think about that. Um, but yeah, if you guys are wondering where my um, fantasy waiver wire pickup of the week is, I don't really have one this week because it's going into week 18. Most fantasy leagues have finished their championships up because. Nobody likes a week 18 or I guess in the past, it's been week 17. Um, Nobody likes a final week championship in fantasy because like I said, a lot of, a lot of teams that are already locked in the playoffs and have their spot, um, they sit their players. And so, right. A lot of teams have switched to the, the second to last week championship for fantasy playoffs. Um, And I think that's a, that's a good thing that they've done. A lot of my leagues have done the same thing where we have championships. And so, yeah, that's definitely a good thing to do. So I don't have my fantasy waiver wire pickup of the week, um, but we are, we are running well over an hour here. So um, that's, it was a really good episode today. Actually, I was, I was happy with, uh, with our, with our takes. I think that we got a lot of conversation out of, we got more conversation out of the topics than, than expected. um, Definitely. So it was, it was fun doing this today as always. Um, and we will, we will see you guys on 
Saturday with our college football episode. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for tuning in today and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll make sure to catch you guys next time.